If you're an NFL fan, I'm sure that you were probably watching this past Thursday night when we started the NFL draft. One of the fun things to do is to see who's going to be chosen number one overall. If you were watching, I'm sure that you know that it was now Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston was the quarterback at Florida State. He was chosen by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, number one overall. I read where he had already signed now his rookie contract. It was worth $23.3 million. It included a signing bonus of $16.7 million. Yes, when you get chosen number one, it changes your life. Good things happen. But if you're a fan, I don't know if you continue to watch right on past the number one draft choice and watch some more on Thursday through that whole first round draft, or if you came back on Friday to watch all the draft choices in second, third, fourth round, or if you watched the final on Saturday all the way up to the last pick on the seventh round, number 256, that was the final draft pick. Do you know who was the last pick in the NFL draft? Gerald Christian from Louisville, drafted by the uh, Cardinals. And when he became drafted by the Cardinals, the last draft in the NFL draft, number 256, he was bestowed with a special title. He's now officially called Mr. Irrelevant. Mr. Irrelevant. Most people know that if you are chosen in those last rounds of the NFL draft, the odds are against you probably ever making the team or playing in the NFL. But chosen the last one, number 256. It is something official with the NFL. You see, this was first started by Paul Salata. Paul Salata back in 1976. He was an NFL player. He had been drafted in the later rounds. And he lived out in Newport Beach. And living in Newport Beach, one day he read an article where somebody was opening the phone book, going through it and choosing a name, and then doing something nice for somebody for no reason. And he thought, wouldn't it be nice to do something for somebody for no reason? And what if that somebody was random and it was the person who was chosen last in the draft every year? The reason was, you look at the person who gets chosen first, well... James is going to go out and he's got himself a brand new watch and car and he's the toast of the town. And he thought, wouldn't it be nice to wind up doing that for the last in the draft? To be there to celebrate them and to do something nice for them? And so it was in 1976 that he called um, Kelvin Kirk, who happened to be number 256. He called Kelvin Kirk and said, I'd like to invite you to come out to Newport Beach. We'll fly out here, bring your family and we're going to have a great time and have a, a big dinner and a roast you and celebrate you as Mr. Irrelevant. I don't know how you'd feel when you got that phone call. I mean, he wasn't so sure about this whole idea. He checked with Pete Roselle. He'd, he'd already said, yes, this is legit. So he hopped on the plane. He went out to Newport Beach, had a good time, and, and had a good experience. And so it went on, and it started to grow bigger and bigger. And now this was the 40th time to name Mr. Irrelevant, and they have a Mr. Irrelevant week out of Newport Beach at this time. Now they tell you, you can be sure and invite uh, your family if you want to, but a few years back, there was a guy named Tevita 
Ofen Hingaya. Ofa Hingaya. He's Tongan. Born the Tong kingdom of Tonga, born in Hawaii, came to Salt Lake City. There he played football, got drafted. Ofa Hingaya. And he said, bring your family. Sixty-three people showed up. <laughs> they were suddenly scrambling to find every room they could to put them up in the hotel for this big weekend party that they had. So they have the Ophahin guy who rule. <laughs> you can bring two or three other people. That's it. But you come for a whole week now. Newport Beach has really gotten into this. This is a big deal. They raise money for charities. And when you arrive and come off the plane... There is a parade through Newport Beach for you. You are greeted by successful athletes and movie stars. You get your parade through Newport Beach, and of course you go to Disneyland. And then they're going to have a regatta, a sailing regatta. You can go sailing. And then they're going to have a golf tournament in your honor. And then they wind up having a big banquet on the very end of the week where people come together to roast you and to toast you, and it's a big banquet and a big night, and in the end, they give you a gold watch and a letter from the commissioner of football, and it says, good luck. You may never play in the NFL, but you have a watch anyway. <laughs> you know, being chosen last isn't easy. I couldn't help but think about when I was a kid growing up. Maybe it happened to you too. As a kid growing up, you're going to play a sport, you're going to have a fun team, and you get two captains, and then they're going to choose the team. Did you ever stand around wondering when you're going to get chosen? Were you ever afraid you're going to get chosen last? Confirmands? I know those are the things that happen in life. You're out there in life and you want to be chosen first. But that doesn't always happen. When you play a sport, you want to get chosen first. That doesn't always happen. If you're in the band, you want the first chair. If you're in drama, you want the lead in the play. Doesn't always happen. That's actually life. For all of us through adults, it doesn't always happen. And it is easy to go through life at lots of different ages and to feel that you don't matter. You're insignificant. You're irrelevant. Our scripture lesson this morning came from the book of Mark. The gospel of Mark is, we believe, the first gospel to be written. That's interesting, you know, as scholars have gone back to try to figure out who wrote the gospels, we don't always know who wrote Matthew, Mark, John. We know Luke was a physician traveling with Paul. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Don't know a lot about Luke. But scholars are pretty good about going back and trying to put pieces together and figure things out. And, and, and they've tried to work on who wrote the Gospel of Mark. What they've been able to determine is the Gospel was originally written in Koine Greek, which is a very common language, the, the, the language of the common person not someone who is highly educated. It meant that probably it wasn't their primary language. They believed the first language of the author of the Gospel of Luke, of Mark, probably spoke Aramaic. 
spoke Aramaic and was probably a Palestinian Jew living in Jerusalem. We know that when you read the Gospel of Mark, that Peter comes off better in Mark than any other Gospel. We all know Peter was the one who was kind of outspoken and always taking the lead and doing dumb things. Well, those get recorded in Mark, but they don't... uh, Mark somehow seems to be easier on Peter. In fact, at the end of the Gospel, when Jesus has been raised from the dead and the angels come to tell the women, the angel says, Go tell my disciples and Peter that he has risen from the dead. That doesn't get said in any of the other Gospels, only in Mark. It makes most scholars believe that maybe Mark knew Peter, that they might have been friends, that it was Peter who told the stories to Mark who would ultimately write them down somewhere maybe in the 60s. Now what we also know if you read the book of Acts is when Peter kind of starts leading the early church, he gets put into jail and was going to be executed. He escapes through a miracle and he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. So yes, probably Peter knew John Mark. We also know John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas who was a great leader in the early church. The name means son of encouragement. He was probably, he was the cousin of Barnabas and you remember it was Barnabas and Paul who went on a missionary journey and they took with them John Mark. But on that first missionary journey, something happens and John Mark either gets homesick, he becomes afraid, he gets mad, we don't know, but he leaves and comes back. He deserts them while they're out on their missionary journey and he comes back home to Jerusalem. We know that when Barnabas and Paul come home and they get rested and go out for a second journey and they get ready to go, Barnabas wants to take John Mark again and Paul says, absolutely not. No. And so they split and Barnabas takes John Mark and Paul takes Silas and goes off and the rest of the New Testament is about Paul and Silas and Timothy and you don't hear about Barnabas and John Mark anymore. What we believe is John Mark and Barnabas go off and probably Mark then heads down to Alexandria there in Egypt, North Africa and there he starts the church in Alexandria. And it's incredibly successful. It becomes one of the most important cities for Christianity in the early church. There in Alexandria, Egypt, North Africa. He becomes the bishop of North Africa. And we believe it was somewhere there maybe in those 60s that Mark sits down and writes the story that Peter had told to him years before. And we then have it as the gospel of Mark. As I went back to look at Mark's story, all I could think about was, here's this great leader in the church, starting the church in Alexandria, bishop writing the gospel of Mark. But I think of the story when out on the missionary trail, he failed. He deserted Paul and he deserted Barnabas and came home. And when they got ready to go, they chose up teams. And Paul didn't choose John Mark. He not only wasn't last, he didn't choose him at all. How do you think John Mark felt in that moment? Young man, failed, 
I can't help but think he felt insignificant, unimportant, Mr. Irrelevant. It happens to us all. It happens to us all. So what do we do? When you find yourself in those kind of moments wondering, do I matter? Do I make a difference? I think there's three important things to see in the story. First of all, Confirmands, what I want to say to you is you don't need to be chosen, number one, to do something that matters. You don't have to be the best to make a difference. All God asks out of you is for you to be the best you you can be. That's what God wants out of you. You don't have to be number one. You don't have to be the best to make a difference. God needs you to be you. John Mark would have to discover he didn't have to be Peter. He couldn't be Paul. He needed to be who he was. And he could do things for him, his way. He would be significant. Not like Peter, not like Paul. God would use John Mark in his own way. Stop comparing yourself with others. I saw a fascinating interview recently with Anthony Hopkins, the great actor. You've seen him in so many movies. We've all seen him in different movies because he has done so many. His breakout role was in Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal. We showed some clips of that in Lifelight, and we had to be really hard what clips we could show. <laughs> That's a pretty wild show there for Silence of the Lambs, but for that he won an Academy Award. Um, but he was also in Shadowlands and so many others. What a great actor. He's been knighted by the Queen of England for all that he's done for the arts. But in an interview with Anthony Hopkins, he made the observation. He said, you know, I, I struggled with self-esteem most of my life. He had a very poor self-esteem. This incredible actor, all these awards, all the things that had gone on. And he said, I struggled with self-esteem. He said, you know, when I grew up, they sent me to a boys' school, all boys' school. And everybody there was supposed to be good in math and science. He said, I hated math and science. I was terrible in math and science. Everybody there wanted to play soccer. And when they chose up teams, I was always chosen last. I wasn't coordinated. I wasn't good in sports. I'd be chosen last. People called me dumb. He said, it was hard. I was interested in drama, music, theater, I didn't feel apart. I struggled. And then one day, God spoke to me. He said, I was sitting in Piccadilly Circle, having a drink with a friend, when I looked over his shoulder, and there I saw a marquee that said, Silence of the Lambs, Anthony Hopkins, Academy Award winner. And he said, in that moment, God said, Anthony you weren't dumb. You were just different. Not all my children are supposed to be good at math and science and soccer. Anthony, you weren't dumb. You were just you. And that's good. That's good. Stop comparing yourself with others. You don't have to be number one. You don't have to be chosen best or first. All God asks out of you is to be you, the best you.
that you can be. You do that through God's grace, which is second. I know as we read our stories that we're all going to fail and make mistakes. But you don't have to let your failures define who you are. It is the gift of God's grace that enables you to take your mistakes, your failures, and you become something more. Whenever you're selected Mr. Irrelevant, and you get to go out to Newport Beach for this big week and all the celebration, they have the parades and you go to Disneyland, that last night with the big banquet, when they had the presentation of the gold watch, they also give you a trophy. Now we all know about the Heisman Trophy. Well, there they present the Lozman Trophy. <laughs> we all know the pose of the Heisman Trophy. Well, this, the Lozman Trophy, is the Heisman fumbling the ball. <laughs> That's the trophy you get. Because you see, if you're probably the last pick in the draft, you've probably fumbled the ball. You've made mistakes. You've done those things that were wrong. That's why you choose last in the draft. What we're told is, by our grace, those are not the moments that define you. I've been telling you a lot about Chris Hadfield a year ago. I loved his book, Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth. Chris Hadfield was an astronaut from Canada. And it turned out that he was the first astronaut from Canada ever to go into space and he'd be the first Canadian to go on a spacewalk. He was helping to build the International Space Station. And he said the night before that spacewalk, it was like Christmas Eve. He wanted to go to sleep so he could wake up. But he couldn't sleep. And he said he polished and polished the, the visor on his helmet. I mean, he had to put on this anti-fog. When you get out there in space, you don't want your mask fogging up. If you've ever gone scuba diving or snorkeling, you know, you, you put in the anti-fog and rub it in there and... Sometimes you're underwater and it still fogs up. And so you get your mask off and rinse it and put it on. You don't take your helmet off when you're in outer space. You better make sure it doesn't fog up while you're out there. So he put on the anti-fog. He checked the lifeline. He checked the oxygen. He checked everything three times to be sure. And the next morning he put all it on and he and his friend Scott went outside. And he said it's incredible to do a spacewalk it means you're out in space and you are literally traveling at 17,500 miles an hour when you're in your spacesuit out in space. It doesn't feel like it, but you're traveling at 17,500 miles an hour and you're in the universe. He said, it's a spiritual moment. Well, they finally got focused and got settled in and they're working at doing things. They've been working for hours when he notices some water starting to float inside his mask. It was from his water bottle that you're supposed to be able to squeeze on and get some water since you're out there for hours. But it was leaking. A little water bubbles kind of, balls kind of now in the mask. And then suddenly he feels something stinging in his eyes. Painful. And he starts crying out of one eye and then it spreads to the other eye. The thing about it is when you're in space and your eyes start producing tears, there is no gravity. The tears don't run down your cheek. They just gather in your eye. And so he's up there shaking his head, trying to get the water out of his eyes. And he can't figure out what's going on. He can't see. You're now traveling 17,500 miles an hour. You're in outer space. You're blind. He tells Houston calmly, 
I have a problem. They start trying to figure out what it is. He's staying calm. He doesn't want them to kill the spacewalk, abort the mission. And he keeps crying, and it goes on. He reaches up, and he says, and I go, dunk, dunk. You forget you got a mask on. You want to rub your eye. You want to scratch your nose. No, all you can do is tear and shake your head. 20 minutes, and it finally starts to clear, he thinks. And a little more, and a little more, and finally it's better. He finishes out the project, another hour and a half of work. Then he comes back and comes into the space station, and he said he is exhausted. By now, NASA's been thinking and thinking, and they finally figured it out. And they said, Chris, did you put the anti-fog on your mask? Yes, yes, I did it. Well, you must not have done it right and gotten it all off. The water mixed with that detergent, and that was suddenly soap in your eye. And he said, has anyone heard about no more tears shampoo? (laughs) But he said, I will do better next time. What he soon discovered was that for all the new astronauts coming along, everybody being trained for a spacewalk, a part of the curriculum was, don't be like Chris Hadfield. Let us tell you the mistake he made. Don't do what Chris did. He said it's kind of strange when you're being remembered for your mistakes. Sometimes that's how we all feel. But through the grace of Christ, you are not remembered for your failures and your mistakes. You are forgiven. You are whole. It is God who calls you to be the best you that you can be. And so third, I believe it is through the grace of Christ you can live a life that matters if you persevere. You have to persevere. That's where you find strength in your faith because you know life isn't always easy to persevere. You're not always going to be number one. You may never be number one. You may never be the best, but you persevere. You don't quit on yourself. You don't quit on life. You don't quit on God. You keep trying even though life is hard. You know the fascinating thing about this Mr. Irrelevant? When Paul Salata decided to start this, he wanted to do it because he really did say, you know, number one draft pick, they get so much attention and so many gifts and good things. Let's do it for the person who gets chosen last in the draft. But then he tells you the real theme of what they do. We established Irrelevant Week to drive home an important message that it is not a negative to be picked last in the NFL draft. Rather, it's an honor to be drafted at all. It's irrelevant whether you were chosen first or last. The last draft pick's demonstration of perseverance is a lesson that resonates not only with NFL players and fans, but also with people everywhere. It's irrelevant whether you're chosen first or last. All that matters is you've been chosen. Confirmands, it's irrelevant whether you are first or last. 
You've been chosen. You've been chosen by Christ. And you've made a commitment to be his disciple. And that means you do have a life that matters. And you can do things that matter. When you read the gospel lesson this morning, I read you this gospel lesson about Jesus being betrayed, but what I really wanted you to hear were the last two verses. Verses 51 and 52. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. What in the world is that about? I mean, two verses, you go, what? I mean, if you were paying attention, it should have caught your attention. What do you, you don't find those verses in Matthew or in Luke or in John or anywhere else in the whole New Testament. Nobody else talks about those two verses. So why are they here? Most scholars say that had to be Mark. It was John Mark, a boy, 10, 12 years old, knew Peter, Jesus, wanted to hang with the big guys, went to the garden, and then everything started going down. He's wearing a linen robe. That's what most people wore. He was scared like everybody else. A soldier reached out for this boy. He was running. He grabbed hold of that linen robe. He slipped out of it and ran away naked into the night. Why in the world would Mark add that in? He didn't have to. Nobody else really knew the story. For Mark, he knew that everybody knew the story, how he had been with Paul and Barnabas and he had quit on them and come back to Jerusalem. They had had the big fight and in the end, John Mark was not chosen. Everybody knew that story. But now all these years later, John Mark writes this gospel and he chooses to include this story. And the reason is because he had a message for you and me. Because Mark wanted to say, you may feel insignificant and unimportant, irrelevant. You may fail. Don't quit. Don't quit. Through God's grace, He can use you. Through God's grace, He can use you to do things that matter. In your job in your home, as a child, as a parent, husband, wife, friend, you can do the things that matter because you've been called to greatness. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.